Can you hear me? You can hear me okay? All right, good. Sorry, Alex. These things hurt me. Oh, sorry, the children. Yeah! All right. Going out to uh, Children's Church. Have a great time. Man, if you're a teacher, that's the enthusiasm you want right there. That's great. Sorry, Debbie. That happens to me all the time. One time I was on a conference call at work, and I'm talking on the phone, and there's a bunch of people on the call. I took a sip of Gatorade and wrong tube. I couldn't talk for five minutes. It was really embarrassing. So... I know how that is. All right, so today is Father's Day. The sermon isn't all about that, but I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, Also, all the potential fathers. There's a couple potential fathers in here. Uh, And also, to the grandfathers. I mean, that's Father's Day on steroids right there. You're a grandfather. (laughs) Any great-grandfathers? No. All right. Um, also, you know, here's the thing, too, is I, I sometimes I feel like men that maybe aren't fathers might feel left out. But, you know, how interesting is that you can be a father figure to somebody else, okay? And there's so many people out there that um, their father isn't around or their father has passed on, or maybe they never knew their father. And you can be a father figure for that person. So, God bless you as well. All right, so I debated how to start this, but something came to my mind, I remembered, and I'm not sure if this is in the scripture or not. Um, <laughs> the first faux pas of preaching, I don't know, no. But you guys have heard of Jacob in the Old Testament, right? Jacob. He had 12 sons. And so it was Father's Day in Jerusalem, right? And so Jacob's waiting around. He's got 12 sons. Nobody's saying a word. Finally, he says, that's it. I'm going to take them all out to lunch. Get this over with. So he tells them, hey, let's go. We're going out. He calls ahead to the cafe. Uh, By the way, it was, um, I believe it was Mount Moriah Cafe. You know? You know where that's at? It's on Mount Moriah. Yeah, there you go. It's like who's buried in Grant's tomb. Abraham Lincoln. No, it's Grant. Just so you know. So he takes them out to Mount Moriah Cafe, right? He walks in. They, they got a big table for these 12 boys of his. And the waiter says to Jacob, he says, My, you have a fine-looking family. I'll bet these are some very upstanding, nice kids. And Jacob says, you have no idea, these rascals. These guys, they are not who, you, who they appear to be. He says, do you know that they took one of my sons, actually my favorite son, they sold him into slavery. And then they came back and said that he had died. He said, so these are not who you think they are. All these years I've grieved thinking my son was dead. 
These are rotten kids. And then he said, waiter, yes? Separate checks, please. Thank you very much. All right. All right, so that's the story. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about, I call this passage, What Makes Jesus Marvel? And it's from Luke 7. Um, It's interesting what Don said, thanks Marvel Comics. Uh, I had debated on calling this passage the Marvel Commander. And I didn't do it, so. But what makes Jesus marvel? Okay, and so we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. It says, When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Praise the Lord. So the story here, the recap, is that you have a Roman centurion. And what is that? That's a military captain um, who is over, centurion means a hundred. He's over at least a hundred men that he commands. And this man had a servant who was dying, and apparently it was somebody that he really cared for, very burdened about this person. In the same story in Matthew 8, tells us that this actually meant young servant. So this is Potentially just a young boy, young boy servant, okay? And he's very concerned about him. And that's kind of what I say is, you know, maybe you don't have offspring, but you can be a father figure. This guy inspires me in this way because you see his loving care for this young boy. He's going to protect him and help him and, and do whatever he can for him. So then... We read in verse 3 these, these words, when he heard about Jesus. And so the works of Jesus were known throughout the region. He's very much uh, talked about. And so this man had heard about Jesus, and he knew that here's a guy who can heal. He's a Jewish physician. But the centurion also knew that he himself, the centurion, was a Gentile. And because he was a Gentile, this Jewish physician probably 
wouldn't want to come to his house, probably wouldn't even want to help him. And he thought there basically, and he said it right in this passage, I'm unworthy. I am unworthy. Isn't that something his self-awareness is, I am, I'm unworthy. The man had a conscience. So the centurion sends somebody he thinks that will, you know, be able to talk to Jesus. He sends the Jewish elders. Okay? And it's kind of neat to see what a relationship this centurion, this Gentile, has. Uh, this heathen, some would say. He's a heathen. Um, what kind of relationship he has with these Jewish elders. So they go to Jesus, and they tell him about it. And here's the, it's interesting, the centurion says, I'm not worthy. And then what do you hear the Jewish elders say to Jesus? This man is worthy. <laughs> this man is worthy. So then Jesus starts heading to the house, and when he came close to the house, the centurion sent his friends out to tell Jesus, don't trouble yourself anymore, just stop there. And a very interesting phrase we'll look at in a minute as well. He says, just say the word. Just say the word. Now that's faith. That's faith. which, at this point, Jesus hears that, and it says that he marveled, okay? Jesus marveled at something. And the boy was instantly healed. So what was it that made Jesus marvel, exactly? Well, he said there in verse 9, he says, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. That's what makes Jesus marvel, is great faith. It makes me ask the question, what kind of faith do I have? Mediocre faith? <laughs> Lame faith? I don't know. Or do I have great faith? And you know, the good news this morning is, is whatever kind of faith you have, you can grow in your faith. Praise the Lord. So there is hope for you. Don't get down on yourself if you think you have mediocre faith. I'm probably there with you. Don't ask my wife. She, I told her she has to like answer no questions today. I'm just kidding. All right, so this word marvel, it's a Greek word. It, it's, uh, I, don't, I hope I'm saying it, thalma, I believe. It means a wonder, evoking emotional astonishment, gaping at the marvel. Isn't that something what this man said and how he responded did this to Jesus. It evoked an emotional response even, an emotional astonishment, gaping. Did you know Jesus was part of one of the first gapers delays? Right here. Gaping. But I, I just think that's so cool that I mean, Jesus was just so, like, taken back. Like, he had to pause for a second and just go, wow. Because I like this. And I get the feeling that, don't you get the feeling that he just, he was astonished, but at the same time, you could say he was so pleased 
He was so happy. Praise God. Praise my Father, you know. Somebody with great faith. Hallelujah. So that pleases Him. And by the way, there's only two times we're told that Jesus marveled in the New Testament. There's just two times. This particular instance um, where it's great faith from a Gentile, but then there's one other case in Mark 6.6, and it says he marveled because of their unbelief. And so once it's a great faith from a Gentile, the other was the unbelief of the Jews. So that's where I ask that question to myself again. What kind of faith do I have? You know, I want to be on the side of faith and not on unbelief. So we all, we all do wrestle with these things, but we can exercise and we can grow in our faith and be those that please the Lord. So from this message today, I'm going to talk about a couple of things. And But the burden that I have is that if this centurion made Jesus marvel, then I want to learn from this man's example. Why? Because I want to please my master, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul wrote, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. I want to make Jesus marvel. I want to make him pleased. I want to make him smile. Is that what you want to? Amen, it is. So I have another question I ask myself. What is my ambition? Is my ambition to be pleasing to Him? So many people, I mean, there's so many you know, things going on. You hear people say, well, that church over there, I went for a while, and I just wasn't being fed. And you know, that may be, but... What was your ambition the whole time you were there? Is it you wanted to please the Lord? You wanted to please Jesus? Or were you just looking for yourself? So what is my ambition? Is it to please myself? Is it to please others around me? You know, i got to fit in somehow. I feel this thing, i got to do something for somebody somewhere. <laughs> Or do I simply want to please the Lord Jesus Christ? So I want to be like this centurion. I want to learn. And Hebrews 6.12 says, Don't become sluggish, that is, in your faith, but imitate those who by faith and patience inherit the promises of God. So let's look at this centurion today and see if we can make some comparisons to our lives and, and learn to grow. So there's three things I want to just bring out. First of all, he cared for his servant. That's number one. And I believe that's on your, your handout. Actually, I know it's on your handout. I wrote the handout. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's great. Don't play that back. All right. Can you re-erase that back there? Okay. He cared for his servant. Now, this guy was a big Roman officer. He could have said, this guy's sick. Nah, he's dying. Write him off. Get me another servant. He could have done that, but he didn't. He cared, and he took action. He didn't just sit there and 
weep about it either. He went out and he did something. He sent out a delegation to go to Jesus. Okay? And great faith takes action in our lives. It always does. Hebrews 11, you know, the great faith chapter. Noah, he said, man, I'm praying when that flood comes. No, he built an ark. Abraham, he left his father's land. He went to a, looking for the land that God had. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Rather, he identified with the people of God. Faith, great faith, always takes action. And the other thing about it, he did the best he could by getting the child to Jesus. And this is what any good parent should do. Bring your child to Jesus. So here on Father's Day today, you fathers, the best thing you can do for your children is bring them to Jesus. And that's not just fathers, it's mothers and everybody else. And those you're discipling, that's the best thing you can do is bring people to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Then we see this. Uh, the centurion was the master. His servant was sick. Now we see the master serving the servant. It's the other way, right? The servant serves the master. But not in this case. The master is serving the servant. It's a reversal. It's kind of like those reverse mortgages, right? <laughs> you can live in your house and get money for the equity in your home. All you have to do is call this number. And my wife will give you my number after the thing. No, just kidding. Reverse mortgage. It doesn't work like that. You're supposed to pay to be in your house, right? So that's the point. They're still, I believe, tricking you, but you can stay in your house and get money. It's too good to be true. I would probably never do it. But here we have the reverse servant. And it's not the way it's supposed to be, really. The servant is supposed to serve the master, but now we have the master serving the servant. How does that take place? It takes place because this man had great faith. He was willing to serve. And you know, it sounds very much like our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark 10, it tells us, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, came to serve and give his life. I like this. It says, after hearing the request in verse 6, Jesus started on his way with them. So I ask you today, do you feel important? Say, that's a dumb question. I should not feel important. <laughs> I brought my daughter here to, to giggle in the front row. So thank you, Grace. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, so seriously, do you feel important? You say, well, I just do this and I'm this person and I don't have like millions of dollars. So I'm probably not important. Well, that's wrong, <laughs> because you're very important to Jesus Christ. You're very important. 
You're the whole reason He came to this earth. He had no other reason to be here. He didn't come here to make money. <laughs> he didn't come here to, to have a good job and a house. and He had no place to lay His head. He came to serve. And He came to give His life a ransom for you and me. So you know what that tells me is that our lives are important. Amen. And so here's this boy, this young servant boy. He was not the son of a king. He was not the son of some great celebrity. He was the son of a Gentile, heathen, non-Jew centurion. He's not the son. Did I say that? He was a servant. He's practically a son. But Jesus started on his way with them because Jesus cared for this child. How neat this Roman officer cared for his servant. The master cared for the servant. Jesus cared for the servant. And the conclusion I have is that Jesus cares for you and me. Praise the Lord. So we can learn from this, right? We can grow in these things. Second thing I want to tell you is that he loved God's house. He loved God's house. And when I say God's house, I also mean God's people, kind of one and the same. Because it tells us in this passage, uh, the Jewish elders say, this man loves our nation because he built us a synagogue. How neat is that? Synagogue basically means a gathering. Um, it's very similar to our present-day churches. They did the same kind of things. They, they publicly read the scripture. They taught, they worshiped, they fellowshiped together. And from what I understand, the synagogue came up after the Babylonian captivity or around that time. Uh, you remember that the Babylonians destroyed the Jewish temple. And so the people of God had this thing within them that said, we need fellowship, we need God's word, we need prayer. So they needed places to meet. And so that's where these synagogues rose up and some probably were built, some probably were converted things. Could have been a garage for somebody, you know. And they converted these things into places of fellowship and worship. And these places were extremely important. Jesus, you find Jesus going into the synagogues. You find the apostles, you find Paul. Everywhere Paul went, he first went into the synagogue. Now, I don't know, later in his life, did he still do that because he was always in peril, but you read about that. He's always going into the synagogue because it's a place of light where the Word of God is being proclaimed. And so the Christian church was greatly influenced by these synagogues. So what a great thing. And I just think it's just amazing, this, this centurion, this Roman commander, he built them a synagogue. And that implies he didn't just build it, but he also paid for it. Wow, how about that? So our labors, you know, our work, you know, do we want to work for the, the people of God, the house of God? 
Do we want to provide our own personal resources for it? This man did. He poured it out. He said, here, there's a building for you. I think that's amazing. And the Jews, they really, really appreciated it, as you can see in this. He said, this man loves our people. And so, you know, you hear people say things today. It really bugs me. And I'm sure I've thought this in the past, but, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I really don't need the church. What's the point? I don't, I don't need it. Well, there's a blank there in your sermon notes. I know that because I, I wrote them. It says, blank, great faith. Not. This is not great faith. If you say, I don't need the church, then you're lacking understanding. You hear somebody say, you know, but I have my own spirituality. That is like, <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> Satan has his own spirituality too. Satan is a spirit being. And so, Satan has his own spirituality. spiritual person, a person of faith, knows how important is the house of God. And, and God is so, like, taken back by those kind of things. God wants people in his house. So go out and get them. Bring them into the house. Why is that? Because God is here in the midst of his people. God loves people. And God wants his house to be filled. You know, John 14, 2, uh, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And so, we need to get used to God's house today because guess where you're going after this life if you're born again? You're going to God's house there. <laughs> you're gonna, why would you have God's house there and not have God's house here. It sounds like spiritual amnesia to me. Right? Something's lacking there. We love Psalm 23, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It makes me feel warm inside. It really does. But how does it end? What's the last verse? Forever. That's right. God's house. So, you know, we really need to kind of get used to God's house because it's going to be forever. If we're unhappy here, I'm not really sure why we think we're going to be happy there. I mean, I'm messing with theology here, so give me a break. You know, don't, don't take me for 100% accuracy at this moment. But you get my point is, a person of great faith is going to love God's house. Okay, and so these are indicators. If you, if you seriously love God's house, that doesn't mean you, you feel so beautiful about everything and every person. And, um, but yet you realize the value. That's what I'm talking about is the value of the people, the value of God's house, the value of the service in God's house. 
if you realize these things and you hold them dear to your heart, you are a person of great faith. And that's just like the centurion. He had these val- this value in his heart. And that is why he not only built them a synagogue, but he also paid for it. That takes great faith, doesn't it? To put your money out on something other than yourself. <laughs> Sounds like Christ again, doesn't it? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So those are kind of negative things kind of brought up there, but um, what are the good reasons to be in God's house? There's many. And I just put a couple there in your notes. And one of them is 1 Timothy 3.15. It's because the church is the pillar and support of the truth. And I'll put it like this, on earth. You want to walk in the truth? then you're going to end up in God's house. If you follow in the truth, you're going to follow it right into God's house somewhere. It might be here, it might be another place, but some place where they preach the gospel. And that, I believe, is why so many people avoid God's house, is that right there, because it is the ground and the pillar of the truth. And so that's something that every one of us can struggle with at times, is the truth. Because there's things about me, you know, that we kind of cover it up, don't we? We just cover up these things in our lives. And uh, somehow the truth exposes things in our lives. It's a light. It's a light. And Jesus said if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And they said that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So, truth and light, very important in God's house. The other thing, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, you can read it on your own time, but basically, God's house is a place of spiritual growth. If, if you never grace the doors of the church, you're going to have stunted growth in your faith. just the way it is. You can grow on your own, absolutely. You know, and I really recommend you do that. You read books, mostly the Bible, and learn and grow. But if you don't come to the church and walk in the truth and light in fellowship, you're not going to get as far as God would want you to go. Okay? So do you realize what amazing opportunity we have (laughs) we can do these things we can come here we can learn together we can pray together sing together get to know each other you know sometime during the week we can have a movie together a spiritual movie you know not like animal house or something like that we're not doing that (laughs) there's so many good movies that flywheels a christian movie praise the lord So, to conclude this point, great faith is not only joins God's house, but it helps build it and give resources. And so builders cause Jesus to marvel. These, you know, 
You come here and you, you know you you sweep the floor. Jesus marvels at that. He says, "You didn't have to do that. Why are you doing that?" And you say to him, "Lord, it's because I love you. That's why I do it." Will we help build God's house? That's our question. Thirdly, he recognized Jesus's authority. He recognized it. How did he recognize it? He says, "For I am, I also am a man placed under authority." This man knew authority, and he could recognize it. And I don't know what it is about centurions, but I I know that I had read in many places about centurions that were involved in the spread of the gospel. And it, I, I kind of looked up some things, and you know we've got this centurion right here with the great faith. Um, there was one at Jesus's death on the cross. Jesus breathed his last breath. This man cried out. There's two different things said in two different books. Um, in Matthew or Matthew and Mark, he basically he says, "This man was the son of God." That was not a Jewish disciple. That was a Roman centurion that said that. Another passage in Luke, I believe, says that um, this man began praising God and saying, "Surely this was a righteous man." See, that was a centurion. Here's another one. In Acts chapter 10, there was a centurion named Cornelius. How many have heard of Cornelius? Yeah. Gary never has. <laughs> no snoozing here. No, he wasn't snoozing. I'm sorry. I'm just joking. He just didn't raise his hand. That's not synonymous with snoozing. All right. I, <laughs> Gary, you're awesome. I love you. Okay. Cornelius. What's special about Cornelius? He was the first Gentile to receive what? Holy Spirit. Who said that? Good job. It was Gary. <laughs> Good job, Gary. All right. First one to receive the Holy Spirit. And in the text, it says of him that this man was such a good man, okay? Not, not, there's no perfect man, but he was a good man, and his alms... And his prayers came before God as a memorial. I don't know what that means, but that this guy was pretty devout, and it, it was amazing. First to receive the Holy Spirit, first Gentile to receive Holy Spirit. Then Acts 27, during the shipwreck, the men of the ship wanted to execute all of the prisoners. It was a centurion that stepped in and said, no, and got Paul out of there to save Paul's life. Isn't that something? And did this guy even know what he was doing? I have no idea. It doesn't say. But yet God used this centurion to save Paul's life. And we know that Paul's life had a very strong meaning and purpose. So what is it about these centurions and their occupation? I also wondered... This got me really thinking, and 
probably a little off course, but it's okay, right? Um, what about fishermen? Isn't that something how God used fishermen? A whole handful of the early disciples were fishermen. Tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In the home of Simon, a tax collector. What is it about these people? And I think the tax collectors are to show us that, that God does have mercy. Right? <laughs> like the IRS. Yeah. Jesus saves an IRS person. You know that there is mercy for you. Amen. I hope there's none in here. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to get a letter in the mail. We would like to audit you. It's fine. I have nothing to hide. All right. So maybe these centurions, right? Maybe they've seen too much bad things, you know, like death and suffering. Um, they're, they're standing there when the crucifixions take place, right? We found out. They've seen some sad things. And then while at the same time, they have a hundred men under them that they're responsible for. And they probably lost a lot of men and seen men hurt and maimed and everything else. I would think, to me, that would, that would give me some post-traumatic stress disorder, you know. Uh, perhaps they know that they work for Rome, the most powerful nation at this time. I mean, this Rome was a scary, scary place. I mean, you, you don't cross the emperor or you're, you're gone. And somehow, because of that, they understood the weight that was upon them and the authority, this whole authority, level of authority that he talked about. Perhaps, as a soldier, the discipline they knew taught them to strive for excellence. Somebody doesn't become a centurion without being excellent in their life. Excellent in physicality, you know, exercise, training, excellence in leadership, excellence in study. They had to know these things. Sometimes when you strive for excellence like that, you start to realize your shortcomings. And maybe these men felt so much pressure to be excellent that they began to understand that I need more. And so this centurion cries out, I am not worthy. I am not worthy, Lord. How neat is that? Second Timothy 2, chapter, uh, verse 3, Paul told Timothy to be strong and endure hardship like a good soldier. So we're called to be like these soldiers. And so maybe what's going on here with this centurions is it's like the sower and the seed. The seed needs good ground, and the ground is what? The ground is our hearts. And so often Christians will sense some hardship, some trial, some self-denial that they have to do. How about the, the whole thing about fellowship coming into the light? They get that, and then what do they do? They fall away. 
Some people will face it like a good soldier and go on. They feel a little pain, but in the end, God changes them, and it's glory. It's an awesome thing. I don't know about you, but I want to be different. I want to be changed. Because I feel so much, and I'm not just saying this, I feel so much like that centurion that I am not worthy. I am not worthy. And so we need to endure hardship like a good soldier. That's what Paul told Timothy. Be strong like that. So the good ground is to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what this good soldier told Jesus. We're talking about authority. And this good soldier said, He says, There it is in verse 7. I should have highlighted that one. He says, but just say the word. He said that because Jesus had authority. It would never work otherwise. And I like that. This guy didn't have to see lightning or touch the hem of his garment. He didn't have to have Jesus come and lay his hands upon him. He said, I just know that you need to just say the word. The man of authority knew that Jesus was the man of authority. And Jesus could just say the word. And you know, this past week or so studying, I've begun to pray that way. And I never really used those words before. And I say, Lord, I know that there's this thing going on and this person I know has this thing they're trying to do. I won't get into details, but I said, Lord, all you have to do is just say the word. And there was a peace that was in my heart about that. Because it wasn't me like I got to strive up a prayer that just so reaches heaven and convinces God of all that I'm doing and and all that we want to accomplish. It was, no, Lord, all you have to do is just say a word. Friends, that's great faith. That really is great faith. And so if Jesus says it, will it happen? It's as good as done. If Jesus says it, it is as good as done. And we, the elders, they got together and they said, what's kind of the theme of our uh, messages that we're going to share? And it was hope. And so I didn't pick any, I didn't pick hope as a topic so much, but <laughs> this comes out as hope. Okay? Strong, great faith has hope. Because Words, words have problems, okay, because they, they used to mean something and, and people think something different, you know. Like, man, that is bad, you know. That means it's good. What? Why do we do this? I'm down with that. What do you mean? You don't want to go? <laughs> no. That means I'm up with it. If you say you're down with it, you, you want to go. 
Makes no sense to me. So, but the world's so the world's hope and Christian hope are two different things. They're not even close. And the world says, "I hope." See, I hope, I hope, and they go, "I hope, I hope," and it keeps going. The hope, hope, hope. And all they're really doing, and this is one of your blanks, by the way, it's in red here, which is only wishing. That's what it is. The world wishes, but the Christians are different. The Christians' hope is it's as good as done. And why is that? Because God has authority. And when God says, it shall be done, it shall be done. Not only that, in 1 Timothy 1.1, it tells us that Jesus Christ, who is our hope. It's not a maybe. Jesus is who he is. He does what he says he's going to do. He's actually coming again to this earth. And no matter how worried you are about the world, Jesus is our hope. And he is coming back. And every eye is going to see him. Praise the Lord. We, and we do, in many ways, hope that it's soon, don't we? So Jesus recognizes this man's authority. The centurion recognizes Jesus' authority. It reminds me of Romans 10.9. This is where I'm going to leave it. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord is to acknowledge his authority. When you say Lord, that means he is God. That means he is the ultimate authority. And you're saying, if if you recognize somebody in that way, you recognize Jesus as the authority, that means you're going to submit to him and ask him to save you. Praise the Lord. He is the boss. I repent of my sins. And I need to make that confession today and every day. And so we need an initial entry into that. If you're a Christian today, in some way or another, you've done that. You've said, well, Jesus, will you be my Lord? Not even just he is Lord. He is my Lord. And I repent. And if you've never done that before, I encourage you to do that. I don't want to assume that anybody in this room uh, has done that. I mean, I don't want to assume anything. So I'm going to say to you, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, ask Him today. He's the authority. He can save you. He went to the cross and He died for you. And He can give you eternal hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. If you've never done this, please talk to somebody afterwards about it. Because that's great faith. And that pleases the Lord. And you get saved.
And so that's it, the entryway to get into the house. But if you've done that, that doesn't mean you stop doing that. <laughs> okay? He said, well, I said he was Lord one time. Now, guess what I'm going to do? Whatsoever I want. That's not great faith. So Romans 10.9, if you've never done it, do it. And if you have done it, do it again. And God will bless you and he'll bless his house because you're going to do great faith and you're going to start entering in and being a blessing. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for the example here in the scripture of somebody with great faith. Help us to have, Lord, that kind of great faith. Uh, Put it in our minds and hearts that we would, uh, Lord, aspire to be like that. Especially, Lord, that you would be pleased. That you would look upon our lives, each one of us, every one of us here. uh, You would look upon us and marvel. That you would be tickled in your heart because we say, just say the word, Lord. And so, Father, lead us out of here in joy. Thank you for your faithfulness. We bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.